Now, this Jubilee thing that we've been talking about, this gift from God called Jubilee, it informs us that God would have us live fruitful lives that are balanced with meaningful endeavor, our labors, and Sabbath rest in the seasons of God's provision. It is said in the passage you just heard, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. God assures us that if we will humbly obey God's will, there will be blessings. And if not, there will be afflictions. Now the story of the Israelites affirms this for us in many ways. Uh, the, the Jubilee is at their time of proving the old saying that if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. How many of you have lived that out? You know what that's like. If you keep doing the same dumb thing over again and over again, and you keep getting the same dumb result, it might be time to change the dumb thing you're doing. <laughs> On the other hand, if you keep doing things that reap blessing, then you might want to keep doing those things. And Israel proves this over and over again in the Old Testament. For some of the people in Israel, and in our day, it's a story of material prosperity where clever manipulation of the law, of the religious law that is, leads to wealth and power, but in the same way that clever manipulation leads to the oppression and poverty of others. Now, in that religious system, it was easy to feel right and just and good when you were generating lots of wealth for yourself and employing others and so forth. But if you didn't observe the season of Jubilee every 49 years, then that system would just increase and continue. And as far as Moses was concerned and those people who were close to him at the time that this declaration was made, that would just take you back to Egypt, where a few people had accumulated great wealth and power at the expense of others, and in a way that would cause them to be oppressed. And yet, Jubilee reminds us that if we'll hit the reset button regularly, things balance out. And it doesn't mean Robin Hood taking from the rich and giving to the poor. What it means is that God says, if you work my land for fruitful prosperity for the people and you get something good out of that, great. But at the same time, if you don't hit that place at 49 years where you hit the reset button and rest on my favor and rest in the momentum of my blessing, you'll start thinking you did that. I like Jerry Clower. Anybody ever heard of Jerry Clower? He once told a story that I really liked. I'm ad-libbing here. 
But it just reminded me that this principle could be expressed this way. He had a Uncle Versi was his favorite uncle, and his uncle had a favorite hunting dog uh, named Lightning. And one day old Lightning was out there in the woods hunting down the biggest coon in the woods, and they were fighting and scrawling back and forth, and eventually they got up onto the railroad tracks of the Illinois Central, and uh, a train hit the dog and the raccoon both. And old Uncle Versi got up there on tracks and he picked up his dog and he was holding his dog in his arms and crying. And, and uh, Jerry said, he went up to Uncle Versi said, you know, I, I know you're going to miss him, but you can raise up another great dog. And, and Uncle Versi stopped and he said, I'm not crying because his dog is dead. I'm crying because that dog probably thought that coon killed him. I guess the point in telling you that story is, is that we can all end up getting blindsided by our pride. It can come and hit us like a freight train where we get this idea that somehow we did that. That somehow we made ourselves so successful, that we made ourselves so rich, and that people who are less fortunate than us made themselves that way. And I'm not trying to preach politics. I'm just saying that, that God has an answer for that. In the kingdom of God, and this is an essential belief you got to understand, is that I don't do politics from the pulpit, but in the kingdom of God, that is where we, the people of God, dwell, God has a different plan. You've got to remember, we're not in this, we're not of this world, we're just in it. And so in the kingdom of God, this Jubilee reset plan is essential. Because it reminds us that everything we have, everything that we do, even our strength, our intelligence, and our fantastic Jasper work ethic is a gift from God. That it was given to you by God. It makes you who you are in God. And in that respect, we've got to take a break once in a while. Jubilee and Strassenfest are not exactly the same thing. <laughs> Jubilee is a spiritual thing. Strassenfest is a material thing. They're both great. But one has eternal dividends that it pays, while the other just leaves you a little fatter, a little wearier, and with some happy memories. Our Jubilee is Jesus. And while we don't observe the Jubilee of the Old Testament, we do need to observe the Jubilee of the New Testament, which is Jesus. And what that means is that we observe some simple rules of salvation that Jesus gave us. But they are surprisingly the same rules of the Jubilee. We repent, release, rest and restore for us our repentance is the awareness that god owns it all and that every time our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and our deeds and our words and the very way that we live our, our lives seem to resist god's providence and god's provision and takes on more of a I did that kind of mentality. Every time we do that, we're sinning against God. We're, we're disrespecting God. And it's, it's like saying that 
God didn't make this at all happen by accident, for example. I mean, it's an insult to God. It really is. And there's a mindset that is entirely material. And so even in Jesus, the Jubilee, there's a call to the spiritual. There's a call to let go of the material things in our lives, in our world, and run to the spiritual things. Jesus illustrated that in the story of the prodigal son. He says, I, just, I could preach five weeks in a row on the story of the prodigal son. That's how much I love that story for all that it says about God. Jesus says that a certain son wanted all the material things his father could give him now. And so the father in love and grace gave it to him and he took it and squandered it and then ended up a poor slave who would have been happy to eat the food of his father's slaves and servants. But instead, when he comes home to his father in repentance, the father literally hikes up his skirt and runs to him. And I'm sure the son ran to his father when he saw that. That's Jesus' jubilee. The Father has, in the form of Jesus, run to us. He's running to you and he's saying, come back. Now that the material has proven itself to be unfit for consumption, now that the material world has proven to you that it's temporary and it only makes you feel good for a little while, and then it leaves you with indigestion and decay, Come to me, and he says, as he's running to you, it's jubilee time. And what does the son of the, pro the prodigal son say to his dad? He says, Father, I've sinned against you. And I am more deeply sorry than my words can express, because I get it now. I wanted the material more than I wanted the spiritual realm where you dwell. And the father says, it's okay, son. All is forgiven. Let's celebrate. And so he's released from his sin debt to his father, and then he is given a time to rest and celebrate. To sort of let the dust settle and then hit the reset button, which if I were going to read this just slightly differently, I might say we repent, we release, we rest, and then instead of restore, I might say reset. And we all know what that's like, right? I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Jubilee isn't all that different to the computer or other technology in your house that occasionally malfunctions and it's easily repaired by just turning it off and turning it back on again. And so through Jesus, we see God run to us to reward us for our repentance. And then he gives us a chance to celebrate and rest. And then he says, now let's hit the reset button and keep going in this new direction which is essentially what repentance means. It's a decision you make to turn in a new direction. You're going to stop doing what you've been doing and getting what you've been getting, and you're going to turn in a new direction. Unfortunately, in church, maybe not this one, but 
most churches, there is the same plague that afflicted Israel. There are power plays, social manipulations, there's wealth and there's poverty. And all in the name of religion, which is amazing, really. But God sees it all the same way today as God saw it back in the ancient days of Israel. We know that Jesus being God in the flesh illustrates these things vividly and gives meaning to what is said about God in the Old Testament in such a way that we can say that Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. And when he says that Isaiah was right when he prophesied that the hypocrites were people who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God, and that they worship in vain. See, Jubilee never happens when people worship God in vain. Jesus cannot save anyone who doesn't believe they need saving. If you don't know how much danger you're in, then you're not going to need a Savior. And in the same way, new birth in the Holy Spirit won't happen in a person who finds that whole concept implausible and unbelievable. Where they're like Nicodemus, who they say, what, are you saying that I should go back into my mother's womb? Nick, you don't get it. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's a reset where we move from material existence to an eternal spiritual existence. When the Israelites obeyed God, they were blessed, and when they disobeyed, they were cursed. Disobedience always led them into destruction and slavery and oppression. And obedience always led them into prosperity, provision, and liberty. And it's still true today. Religion in the name of Jesus Christ, but without the Spirit, ultimately leads to destruction, slavery, and oppression. To put it more succinctly, when churches and their members are given over to the material constructs that serve Christ in name only, there will be decline and decay. When churches honor people and things more than they honor the Lord, they end up becoming slaves to the people who pay the bills in order to oppress they become slaves to people who would rather wield social authority than humbly serve the Lord God. When churches are more focused on things than people, there will be oppression. And that's why we have Jubilee. Because it forces us to stop and coast on the momentum of God's grace for a season. I propose that this church do that for the next few years. Everything we've planted, everything we've sowed will continue to come up and we'll be able to benefit from God's favor. But for a season, I propose that we rest the soil and ourselves before God hits the reset button 
Today we're gathered as one worshiping body so that we can present ourselves before the Lord in many of the same kinds of convictions and spiritual sort of mind frame uh, as the Old Testament. So let me put this in Old Testament terms because what we want to do today is like what they did then. When they were on the cusp of entering the promised land, the people of Israel heard Moses say to them, knowing that he wouldn't go with them, yet his voice echoed off of the cliffs of the promised land, and it still does today. He said, look, you find yourself at the base of Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel. The past and the future. Today, you can either accept blessing or curse. Today, you can obey the commandments of the Lord and move forward, or you can remain behind in the old way. Moses said, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to God's commandments, which I am giving you today, and curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord. For us, the other gods that we heard about when Paul read to us, they're pride and selfishness. The I did this mindset. This church and its ministries must never be viewed as monuments to human achievement or worldly status. We're not trying to keep up with the other churches in town. It doesn't matter who has the bigger building or the best parking lot or the best technology. We're not playing that game. We're here because God created this place for a certain people that he has called to come into a wholesome, renewing, meaningful relationship with God. Where we are God's disciples of Jesus Christ, even as we are acting out the love of Christ as we serve a hurting and lost world. So this Jubilee season that we're going into is a, a time to remember that. It's a time to stop thinking about who planted the seeds that led to this particular harvest. Who built it? Who paid for it? Who inspired it? it, it, it all of that is it's time to forget about it because it doesn't matter. Rather, we are like the people who came into the promised land and assumed fields that had already been planted, cities that had already been built and occupied a ready-made promised land where they would obey God and do God's will for God's name's sake. And that's what it means to come out of the, prob uh, the season of planting and go into this season of rest called Jubilee. Is now we're riding on God's grace and we're living into God's harvest. This stuff we have, this piece of property, these things, these ministries, these programs, all of this is here. And as new people work in the reset, we occupy it.
for God's glory and God's name's sake. Listen to the words of Moses again. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes, for you have not as yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you live in security, then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring what I command you. There you will worship with burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions of your own hand, and all your choice votive offerings, will you, then you will vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is in, within your gates, that's me, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. I want you to think about what you just heard there. When you go into the promised land, you occupy it so that you can worship God. So that you can serve God. And you have to take care of the Levite, that religious leader that God puts in your midst because, because he's God's chosen person to lead you in that spiritual world and therefore isn't one of those who made all this labor, you know. I mean, it's, I don't go off on a tangent. <laughs> Beloved, today I'm urging you, I really am urging you, to take the words of Joshua, who did take the people into the promised land. And I'd like to think that, that uh, old Paul here is kind of like Joshua. He's been here at the side of various pastors for several years. And he's, he's been kind of the glue that's held some things together in some critical moments. And for that, I am so grateful to have him at my side. But hear these words of Joshua who got to take the people through the wilderness and into the promised land because he had faith when so many didn't, he and Caleb. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. It is, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in, those in whose land you have been living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's really all I have for you. Probably enough. Now, as we come into this anointing time that we gathered to do on these fifth Sundays, I'd like to give today's anointing a special meaning for us. I'm going to give you a few options, and uh, I want you to think about them for a moment. I'm going to invite you to come forward, and some of you will feel called this morning to stand maybe with your family, maybe by yourself, before the altar. And if you do, you could stand here and say the words that Joshua said, which could be on the screen for your memory. 
You can just stand there at the altar and say, I'm ready to do the reset thing with Pastor Dan and Pastor Paul and where the Lord seems to be taking us here. So as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And maybe that's all you need to do is just come up here and stand for a second in front of the altar by yourself with your family and just say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you can go back to your seat. If you want, you can stay and pray at the rail, uh, whatever. If you would like to receive anointing, you might come to me or Paul. We'll be out on the outside here just to give you some room to maneuver. And you may want to be anointed just as a way of kind of sealing. You know, in the Old Testament, anointing usually meant that you were being marked for a special purpose. So you may want us to anoint you as a way of sort of marking you for this new endeavor. And you don't really have to say anything. We'll just anoint you and it'll be between you and the Lord. If, on the other hand, you want the New Testament anointing, which is an anointing of the sick because you are sick or afflicted in some way, you may come to us and say, I'm sick or afflicted, and you can tell us what that means, and we will anoint you. You have another option. You can remain in your seat, and no one will judge you for that, and no one will think less of you. And that won't mean that you aren't also saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe the Lord is at work in this place today, right now. That the Holy Spirit is setting this place ablaze with the Spirit's power. You decide how you want to respond. There will be music and there will be plenty of time for you to experience this. So I invite you now to come.